Revelation. We're in, we're in chapter 3. We'll try to finish up with this. Uh, Patrick will be picking up next week. He's going to start in chapter 4. Whether I get done or not, he's going to chapter 4 and going to get started. Um, but we're, we're, in here, we're at the, the end here of chapter 3. It's the last letter, the message to the, the letter to Laodicea, uh, verses 14 through 22. And I'm going to pick up, we're going to pick up in verse 15. We got, we got all the way through verse 14 last, uh, two, two weeks ago. So we're going to pick up here in verse 15. Uh, and, and the Lord says again, it's this phrase we've talked a good bit about. When the Lord says here, he says, I know your works. The Lord says, I know your works. And that should, it, it should encourage us and it should scare us to death. And we, we should ponder that and think about the fact that the Lord, folks, he knows our works. He knows our attitudes. He knows everything that we do. He knows why we do it. He knows what we don't do and why we didn't do it. So he knows everything. So he knows your works. And he, he, he says here, as we go back and we talk about this, that the, the, the letter is written to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans. No, no, other, no other letter is written that way. No other letter. And it's written to the, the angel of the church of the Laodiceans. And it's like, they, it's their church. It's, the Lord's like, he's saying, this isn't my church. You guys, y'all pushed me out. It's kind of like America today. When, 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 a, when something happens in our schools, then, then the, 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 the heathen wants to ask, why, why would God let that happen? Well, you pushed God out of the schools. You don't want God anywhere near the schools. And then you ask, why would God let that happen? You pushed him out. You pushed the Bible out. You pushed prayer out. You pushed all these things out of our schools. And, and, and now you've told children from, from as, as early as they can get their hands on them, that they've evolved from... I loved our, our message last week with VBS. I loved the one song that said, you, you, you're not going to make a monkey out of me. And, and there was a great line in that song, not going to make a monkey out of me, because we didn't evolve, folks. We, 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 are a, we are God's special creation. His special love and favor is on us. But he's saying here to them, this is your church. This isn't my church. This is your church. And so that's where he's at. And he says that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Now, that's, a, that's kind of a gross thought, you know, when we think about that. Um, and, and, you know, I've heard people talk about, well, if it's hot, you know, you, some things that are hot that you drink, they're okay. If it's really cold and you drink them, they're okay. But, you know, something that's lukewarm, I don't know, a good cup of coffee, I can drink it any temperature. You know, I love coffee, and it, I drink it all day, and if it's, if it's cool, I'll drink it. If it's cold, I'll drink it. It's, I like it. So it's, it, I don't think that's what the Lord, we're going to look at what the Lord's saying here, but the references, if you remember when we talked a couple of weeks ago, the reference to hot and cold matched the temperature of the waters of Hierapolis and Colossae. So Hierapolis was, I don't know, six or eight miles away. The other six or eight miles away. So they're not that far. And the the architecture that was built up to bring the water from those places, Hierapolis, the hot water coming down there into Laodicea, and from Colossae, they're bringing the cold water in. And then what we know is the water there in Laodicea, there was something in the water. They had to bring water in from somewhere else because the city certainly wasn't built because of the great water that was there. The water had something in it that when they drank it, it would cause them to vomit. So there's, there's definitely, again, the Lord is bringing right into the letter things that make perfect sense with where the church was and, the, and, the, and, and what we saw in the area where the church was. 
So, so when we see that, the, the threat that Jesus uh, makes here, that he will spit them out of his mouth, it matches the impure water of Laodicea with the vomiting there. And so the evidence that the water in Laodicea was lukewarm is disputed. So the, the people, that the commentaries and different people, as they do the research there, they know water was hot there, they know water was cold there, and others would say the water in Laodicea was lukewarm. That's disputed. We, we, we really don't know that, but we do know that, it, that it, it had something that would make you vomit it out. So if that's bad water in Laodicea, and there's bad things in the church. What's going on in the church? The Lord says, I will vomit you out. Um, but if the point is to match the spiritual temperature to the water temperature, you know, it's kind of unclear why Jesus would have, ha- have said that he would prefer them to be either hot or cold. We'll, we'll get, we're going to look a little deeper into that. But you go, all right, so the Lord's saying he would rather them be hot or cold rather than lukewarm. You would think that the, the, what we know is God wants us to be hot for him, Right. We know that. We don't have to wonder. It's not that he, he's not really saying here, yeah, I'd rather you be hot, but, but you know what? If you're not going to be hot, I'd rather you be cold. That, that's not, but he is saying he'd rather be hot or cold rather than be lukewarm. And we'll look at what that means in a moment. One commentator said this. He says, this is, after all, a church that Jesus is addressing. So the suggestion that cold opposition is better than lukewarmness does not seem to fit. Surely Jesus does not want a church to be cold to him. And we know that's to be the truth. He doesn't want a church to be cold. We're going, we're going to get down in just a moment and we'll have a better understanding of what's being said here. Again, verse 17 he says, Because you say, uh, I am rich, having become wealthy and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. So the church at Laodicea, now they, would, they, were, they were an uppity church. Okay, they were a big, they were a mega church, they were an uppity church, they would want a bank president as their head deacon, they, they, they'd want um, you know, some big entrepreneur or industrialist as, as their treasurer, they'd want you know, you, you, a member of the Senate as, as, as their church secretary. You know, Laodicea had everything a worldly church could desire. They had influential men uh, that no doubt sat on the board, they had large amounts of money, uh, they had large bank accounts that gave them prestige at the bank. Um, you, would, you would imagine the church, the way it's described, probably sat on one of the choice locations in the city. You, you think about a mega church, where they, where they find their, where they, they end up being in the prime area, in the greatest place. They got the great people, the higher up people, the big people, big important people in all the important positions in the church. That's what we're seeing there with Laodicea. They had the best choir maybe in Asia. Um, they, they called the most brilliant and eloquent of preachers to come and fill the pulpit. They had, they had all these eloquent folks. The, 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 the highest up in the denomination would come to that church and speak. And, and uh, they boasted you know, a considerable membership, large membership in this church. And, and they had a well-oiled organization. You know, that pastor probably, pastor of that church might have went off and taught leadership somewhere. Talked about how to, how to organize your church just so, so everything just flows. And, and you know, I, I heard, I, I'm not going to name a name, but I heard somebody say something that really bothered me recently. A higher up in, 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 our, in our denomination. And he made a comment about as he was learning through different pastoring, different places. But he made this comment and he says, you know, in that church there, that's where I learned how to grow a church. I'm going to tell you the problem I have with that statement. It says, I know how to grow the church. 
You know, there's a lot of things we can do right, and we should do the things right biblically. But it ain't about the nuts and bolts of, boy, if I do this just the right way and, and I grow the church. You know, that's why we see a lot of problems in these big churches today anyway. You know, here, here's some of the stuff that goes on. So if a church grows too big and they're not, you know, Miss Abby and I sat in my office with, with, her, with her family and we talked about her salvation decision. And they'll want it, they're going to join soon. We've talked about that. Okay. Uh, I, I've been in churches where a person walked the aisle. They come down here and say, well, I'm saved. I want to join the church. And they go, amen, bring them in. There's no question in their, their testimony or any of that. And so what happens, these big churches, things boom up and, and all these folks come in and, uh, and, they, and they grow up and they got a really, really big church. But the problem is they got a big church, but they know they got a lot of people that aren't really on the same page they are. And then what happens is, I mean, y'all know me. I'm kind of, I'm kind of, I'm not the brightest guy, you know, and sometimes I, I, my foot's about three sizes, or my mouth's about three sizes bigger than my foot. And, but I'll, I'm going to say what I believe is true. And I believe there are, there are guys in pulpits today that's got big churches that they, they, they can't do that anymore because they know if I say this, I take this stand, I'm going to offend a quarter of the church. They're going to be mad at me. You, you see what I'm talking about? And there's some of you probably in here that have experienced some of that. I've been on a, I've been on a church staff, a big, large church staff. We were running about 1,800 when I left the staff. And I saw some of that where it's always the concern about who you're going to uh, make upset. You know, I try, to, I try to stay true to the Scripture. So if you get ticked off, you ticked off with the Lord. You, you can bark at me if you want to, but you ain't mad with me. You're mad with the Lord. And if I misinterpret something or if I teach something that's not there, then you can take issue with me. And, and if I'm wrong, I'll, I'll, I'll correct it. Um, and I'm, I can be wrong. But you see what I'm saying? Grows quick. You don't take care of things. And then you got problems because the preacher can't speak truth. There's another thing about, you know, what we have in churches today with churches then call a pastor who's not going to speak truth. I sat for three and a half hours with the search committee four and a half years ago. That sounds miserable. That sounds miserable, but three and a half hours, it was, it was a good time, wasn't it, John? I was... I was, I was on the hot seat, and I enjoyed it. I, I, I enjoyed it. Every question they asked, every question they asked answered questions for me. I got John, though. John asked me my political affiliation. <laughs> and, and I told him, I said, well, John, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, a, I'm a lifelong card-carrying Democrat. <laughs> and his face, his fa the blood ran out of his face. I watched as the blood ran out of his face, and... And a couple of others figured out my sarcasm and my trying to be funny, and, um, and he forgave me. And, and I'm not, okay, so I'm not, just so you know. Um, oh, but the, one of the questions that was asked was, you know, will you preach about topical, the, the things going on in life today? Will you teach, talk, preach about the issues that we're facing in the world today? And I said, yeah, I mean, I don't look, I'm not somebody looking to pick fights, but if it's a fight that needs to be picked, it's already been picked. I'll fight the fight that needs to be fought. I don't have any issue with that. So this is, this is Laodicea. So as we're talking about Laodicea, it's not hard to look around and see that today. Amen? Folks, if, we, if, we, if we're going to be honest and talk about what we've talked about up to this point, we see it right here. 
There's some Laodicea right here. We got a little bit of all of them right here, but we got some Laodicea right here. And, and we're going to see it because what he's already said is, um, because you say I am rich, and I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing. Now, you know what? That's, that's us today in America. That's American Christians. We are so self-confident, self-reliant. We, we depend on our, our bank account. You know what? I got it good. I, I drive a nice car. I'm in a nice house. I got a big bank account. I got a great job. Uh, you know what? I just, and we know what? We, we, that's American. A lot of American Christianity is because God has blessed me, then I have favor with him. I'm good with him because he's blessed me. That's the lie of the whole prosperity gospel, folks. But we see a lot about that. And he tells them, he says, and you do not know that you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Not doing so well. So this, because you say I am rich, have become wealthy and have need of nothing. This here, this indicates that the problem of lukewarmness has to do with the deceptive sense of self-sufficiency. That's their lukewarmness. See, that's the lukewarmness. They, 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 they're at a place where they come to church, but they're not really on fire for God. You know what I'm talking about? So they show up for church because, well, that's what we do. You know, we're in the South. Well, we're not really in the South. I've learned that once you cross the Georgia-Florida line, you're no longer going South. You're now the further South you go across the Georgia-Florida line, the further North you go, Right. I've, I've figured that out. So we're right really in the south here. This is, I don't know what it is. I don't know where we're at. I've heard people say we're a melting pot. We are not a melting pot. We're like a bowl of vegetable soup because everybody keeps their, every, you can tell. If you're from West Virginia, you keep your West Virginia, don't you? And if you're from Georgia, you keep your Georgia. You look in there, you can see everything. You can identify everything. A melting pot, everything just disappears together. Florida ain't that way. We still see all the cultures. All, it's, a, it's an amazing thing down here. But what we do see is this with us, is this self-sufficiency. And we see it, folks, I, I see it better than maybe you see it, but I see it here. Well, folks that say, I'm a Christian, and there's no passion for Christ. It, it's just, it's, I'll show up for church. You know, I'll do my duty here or there. There's no passion for the Lord. It's a lukewarmness. And, and, and so the Laodiceans were unaware of their true condition, that they were wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked, and the, they mistakenly thought that they had no needs. It doesn't take me about that long for all of our... Um, everything, everything that we so depend on in America today, that we're so reliant on. My house, I'm going to tell you this, and I, I tell too much sometimes. We bought our house seven years ago. I'll just tell you this. My house is more than doubled. It's more than doubled. The, the, you know, some of those estimators says, right now my house is up $200,000 over what I paid for it. You know what that's worth? It ain't worth nothing if the economy just like that crashes. I could be upside, I could be upside down in that house in, in, in hours. Your, your uh, 401K or whatever retirement you had at January... I'm speaking past tense because <laughs> if it's like mine, it, it, it's, it's evaporating. You go, where's it going? It can be gone like that. You go, well, no, no, I've got a good, good job. 
I got a good job. I got stability. No, no, no. Just like that. It can be gone. So, so I, what we, our self-sufficiency, it's, it's no good. It's, a, it's an illusion. Amen? It's an, it's an illusion. And what we should be is passionate about the Lord. Everything should be on Him. Our, our sufficiency is in Him. Our hope is in Him. Our, everything, our security is in Him, not in these worldly things. But there's a whole lot of this American Christianity where our hope is in the things we have. And the blessing of, of being an American and capitalism, and we, you know, I've made good money. I've did, all these, these things, they're good things. They can be good things, and we can use them for good. I'm not knocking a bit. Yeah, this church gives financially. God's blessed here. We just raised about three thousand a month to give to missions. So we we got to get to work and find missionaries to additional missionaries to support now. Find good works to get involved with. Uh, we got baby bottle campaign. We'll turn those in Sunday, and. Uh, I, We've raised between eight and eleven thousand dollars every year that I've been here for the crisis pregnancy centers through the baby bottle campaign. I ain't I ain't bragging on me. I ain't bragging, but I, on our church, I mean, we're like number one for churches our size in the area. We were second or third for all churches in the area. Second for all churches. Saint Andrews. They give. Yeah, they're huge. Mm. Mm. We're, we're going to give over $100,000 this year in missions this coming year from, from like May to maybe May. We will have given over $100,000 in mission giving. A church that runs averages $150,000. Church I was at, when I went on staff, when I first went into ministry, we were running 1,100 people. We gave a little over $100,000 a year to missions. And it, that, when I put that in, in and we had $25,000 a week offerings, I'm looking at that and going, wow, God's just blessing right here. Folks, it can drop just like that. We can't be, we can't be caught up in, in, in the sufficiency of the things around us. It's got to be in the Lord. Because you say, again, again, uh, not that they were, because God didn't say they were rich. They said, because you say I am rich, have become wealthy and have need of nothing. And do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. So the Lord warns Laodicea that this state of affairs can have only one conclusion and that he will spew this church out of his mouth. And it would be hard to find a stronger or more expressive term of revulsion anywhere in the New Testament. So here's why I think you know, when you, when you look at that, why is lukewarmness? Why is that? You know, the Lord said, I'd rather you be cold. At least I know, you're, at least you're honest then. At least you're being real. If you're cold, you're not even putting on a show. You're not playing a game. I know what I'm dealing with right there. He knows what he's dealing with anyway. But maybe then you know what, you're, what you are. Instead of being deceived or deceiving, thinking you're deceiving others by... By playing a game when you really, your heart isn't engaged with the Lord. Does that make, make, does that make sense? See, because our heart has to be engaged. It doesn't matter the, the outside, all the stuff we do outside, serving in children's ministry, serving the safety team, being an usher, greeter, welcomer, you know, any giving you do, all of those things are outward things. 
But it ought to be driven from an inward thing. That shouldn't be to check a box. And boy, if that's just, I think I'm checking a box and it's going to make me, that's going to make me right with the Lord if I do that. I'm checking another box. Well, I have to go to church Sunday. I hope that's never your attitude. I have to go to church. I'm going to church. I'm not going to be here Sunday. I'm not going to be here. Just so y'all know, we'll have record attendance Sunday now that I've announced that. They'll, y'all all, everybody will be here. So be here. Raymond's preaching. Um, it's going to be a great, it's going to be a great day, but we're going to be in South Carolina. We're going up. Gina, does your mom ever watch our services? Okay. Well, I'm not going to criticize her. I just don't, you know, and I think this is not a hidden thing, but we're, we're going up really. This is a soul winning trip. Gina's stepdad made a profession of faith probably a year and a half ago, Gina. And I wondered, I wondered about it then. We've had a couple of conversations, and I, I just, I really wasn't confident. But he's really not in great health with his heart. The doctors have said he might live five years, he might live five minutes. And there's nothing really they can do. But he's been asking some questions uh, lately about, you know, why do I, why do I need to be saved? Why, I'm a good person. And you know what? In the world's view, he's a good person. He's a good man. He really, he really is. From a worldly view of that, he's a good man. But we know the truth of that, that none of us are good. No, not one. And so we're really going up for, it's a, it's a mission trip. We're, we're, we're praying that he'll come to a real faith decision this weekend. And so we were talking about this afternoon. I think when Gina got to church, we were saying something. And I said, well, we're going to church Sunday. They were wanting to know if we want to go to dinner or something with family. I said, well, it's after church, right? Because we're going to church. I got a young man that was in our church years and years and years ago. He was just a youth at that time. He pastors in Greenwood. So if they're not going, if if there's not anywhere else to go, I know where I am going. I'm going to his little church. I'm going to go encourage him. I'm going to be in church. I'm I'm going to be in church. When I go to Utah in the fall, I'm going to be in church because I want to be in church. It's not a it's not a I have to. It's a man I want to. Amen. I want to. I hate missing. I hate missing Sunday. I mean, it drives me nuts that I ain't going to be here Sunday. I hate missing because you never know what's going to happen. Love it. All right. So as we're talking about this, as this, uh, this lukewarmness, so in your, in your unguarded moments, when, when you're at home and, and, and it's just you and you and your thoughts, Think about this. How do you regard yourself? You know, what's the default setting of your self-perception? Uh, am, am I good? You know, I'm good. You know what? I've got money in the bank. I really don't need anything. I've become rich. You know, I've I got clothing. Where are we? Where are we? And it's something we need to think about. What is your self-perception? Do we get this arrogance and self-confidence that, you know, I'm there. I've arrived. I'm just, you know, I'm cruising along. Everything's good. And and it really shouldn't be that way. Because unless we consciously, uh, explicitly remind ourselves of the absolute purity of God, which will provoke recognition of our impurity, we will slip into thinking that we're doing pretty well. Amen? We've got to keep our eyes on the Lord. When when we keep our eyes on the Lord, 
it, it, it exposes, and we stay in the Word, and we spend time in prayer, and we're thinking about Him. You know what? It exposes us for who we are. Here's what we tend to do, though. Oh, so-and-so over there. They've never come to church. You know what? Did, did, you, did you see how he talked to his wife? <laughs> Not much of a Christian they are. You know what? We want to find somebody else to compare ourselves to. That's what, that's what a lot of folks, that's what we want to do. Would you want to prepare yourself, compare yourself to Christ or compare yourself to somebody else? We tend to compare ourselves with somebody else. Because then I feel like I'm doing okay. I'm doing, I'm doing, you know what, I'm doing all right in this. We have to remind ourselves. And so if you're not reminded of your constant ongoing need for the gospel, if we do not uh, continually feel that Jesus is our greatest need, our needs will subtly and surely come to seem more urgent and more significant and more relevant. Our needs will become the big deal in our life, not the Lord. So if we're, if we're not carefully and consciously, you know, if we do not carefully and consciously oppose the growing significance of these felt needs in our life, we have to be careful of that. Which, you know, the felt needs that we have in our life, they're, they're false needs. Our real needs are all tied with Christ. Amen? That's where our real needs are. So, so if, if we do that, we find that the world and its agenda is what becomes relevant to us. It's what is relevant to us. And, uh, and, and you know, for, while for all practical purposes, God and the gospel and the kingdom become irrelevant. There's a, there's a phrase I've probably shared with you, you guys before, uh, a practical atheist. Yeah, I've heard that. I've heard that phrase, right? So, a practical atheist is a is a Christian, who, by the way they live their life, they're practically an atheist. They live as though there's no God. They don't spend time in His Word. They don't spend time in prayer. They don't really consider God until there's a need. Until they then something happens and they become keenly aware of their need for God. Folks, what we have to do is we've got to consciously, constantly be aware of our need for the Lord. It's always there. It's always there. You know, you're, you're a phone call away, right, from the next tragedy in your life, the next great crisis in your life. It's a phone call. The next doctor visit. I mean, just that quick, everything can change. You know, we don't know what's going to happen in two weeks. We don't, we don't know. We don't know what that doctor report. But I can stand here, God's honest truth. I have zero anxiety about that right now. That's not a fake. I'm just telling you. We may get a report in two weeks that says Gina's got cancer and she's going to have to go through this and she's going to have to go through that. And our whole world can change. Just like that. Do you know what? God's still in control. He's in control. And if that's what he has for us, then we'll embrace it. And, and I might cry. I might cry for my bride. And I'll hurt for my bride. But you know what we're going to do? We're going to lean on God and we're going to walk through the storm. Amen? That's what we're going to do. Okay, so we've we got to spend our time and our focus needs to be on the Lord. Um, 
<laughs> Got 10 minutes. Yeah. All right. Verse 18. Verse 18. Uh, I don't know if we'll get through 20, but we'll look at verse 18. So the counsel of Jesus. We talked about this. It's interesting. So the Lord says he counsels them here. He counsels them to buy from him gold. He says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich. They thought they were rich. He says, look, you, you want to be rich? You buy from me gold that's been refined in the fire that you may be rich and white garments that you may be clothed. You remember what we talked about uh, in Laodicea? They, they had their own type of fashion and they had animal skins that they, they, there was a special way they treated it. Almost looks like black leather or something is kind of the idea. They, they, were, they were very, very fashionable. And so they, they think they're clothed and they think they have that. But he's saying, you know, buy from me gold that's refined in the fire that you may be rich and white garments that you may be clothed that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed and anoint your eyes with the eye salve that you may see. So... The church at Laodicea didn't need Laodicea's gold. They needed gold that, that they could buy from Jesus. They needed what money, and what, what, what could be bought, you know, they could acquire without money and without price, as Isaiah 55, 1 says. It's, it, it, it's acquired without money and without price. Um, when, you, when, you sense, when you sense a hope or you have a hope of anticip or, or an anticipation that your life's about to get better, you know, what provokes that hope? You know, I, 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 I've had people, you know, situations where they think they're about to get a, uh, their company gets bought out and they're about to get a big buyout or maybe you're selling a business, there's a big buyout, there's a big, big windfall. If there's a windfall, if we're honest, if, if I thought, man, I'm, a, I'm about to get a $500,000 bump, We'd get kind of, we'd get excited about that, wouldn't we? I mean, humanly, we would. We would. Okay, so, but, but here's, here's the thought here. Is that the anticipation of that, the anticipation of that man thinks, that would that'd bring a little pep in our step and give us some hope that life's going to be better. But here's the thing. Is it the thought of having more money or is it the thought of having more of Jesus? Which is it that really ought to give us? Yes. We, we, you know, our desire, and, and I, I'm not anticipating a $500,000 windfall in my lifetime. I'm not anticipating that. But you know what I can have? I can have more Jesus. I can have more Jesus tonight. I can have more Jesus tomorrow. I can have more Jesus over the weekend. And my life can be better because of, of that increase in my relationship with Christ. Amen? Some people think that more cash will make them more happy. Or they, you know, you know, do you think that? Or do you think that, you know, a deeper understanding of God's character or of the humble servant way of Jesus or of the wise plan that God is bringing to pass will increase your joy? We don't, we don't always embrace that. Again, we're about to walk through something. Gina and I are about to walk through something. I don't know. At the least, she's going to have to have surgery. So... There, there's some things going on right there, okay? And we can get excited about wanting more money, more stuff, or we can get excited about seeing what God's going to do through that situation. Amen? And that's a whole lot better. I've shared with you before, anything, 
Anything that draws us closer to God is not a bad thing. Up to and including death. If it brings us closer to the Lord, Dave and Susan, Dave, we thought we were going to lose you last year. But, but it drew you closer to the Lord. I know, I know where you guys were walking when you came home from, from West Virginia and you got back here, just the fire that was in you. Is it, I mean, what you'd been through, amen? amen. And, and anything that will draw us closer to the Lord is a, is a good thing. All right. I'm going I'm to stop right there because I'm not going to finish everything anyway. And uh, I want to mention a couple things and we'll, pr- we'll pray and, and, and dismiss. Um, these announcements are on the back of the sheet, but it, it, tomorrow morning, nine o'clock, we do a, we have a cleaning ministry.